The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. Praise the Lord. I give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you are looking good, and we are glad you're here today. Turn your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to tell you what a pastor's job description is. If you want to know what a Christian minister is supposed to do, the Bible tells us very clearly, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, he, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, I give you a command, and here's what he says, preach the word. Can you say preach the word? Preach the word of God. And he goes on to elaborate. He says, tell people what they need to do. Tell them when they're wrong. So literally the Bible is speaking of itself that it is the authoritative word of God. That the Bible is not a book of suggestions. It is not an arcane history book. The Bible is not uh, like Reader's Digest. The Bible is not like a, a textbook in school. But the Bible literally is the Word of God. It is as valid for us today as the day that it was penned. It was valid for Moses. It was valid for in Jesus' day. It's valid in Paul's day. And how many believe it's valid in our day? Amen. I mean, it should literally determine what we do with our lives. And uh, I have made a, my intent the last 23 years as I have been your pastor is to faithfully declare to you not only what the Bible says and means historically, not only its doctrines, but how to apply it to daily life. The Bible is a book that can be applied to the way you manage your money, the way you uh, uh, live your marriage, if you're a school teacher, if you're a business person. I mean, whatever we do in life, when we're facing moral choices, the Bible tells us the right way to go and the wrong way to go. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about what all of America is talking about, the upcoming election. Because I believe the Bible has a lot to say. I'm going to be, actually this morning, I'm going to be comparing five different portions of the Democrat platform, the party platform, and the Republican platform. I'm going to be taking a peek with the Bible in the center. What does the Bible say? At the end of the service, you'll have a copy of the party platform. I want you to take one, if you like. If you want to give one to a friend. And what it is, prepared by our friends from the Southern Baptist Convention, it's literally what the different parties believe about the issues of today. It's kind of condensed. It's not the whole platform, but I think you'll get something from it. Now, you know, as I stood before the Bible and as we talked about the Bible, everyone in this room today would say we believe the Bible is the Word of God. It's like if you're in a Christian church and you came to listen to a man talk about the Bible, we're all kind of on the same page. But when you put a donkey on the left and an elephant on the right, how many know it begins to divide? Because there's a great divide in America today. Literally, tens of millions of people belong to each of these parties. I know that there's dedicated Christians in the blue box, the Democrat box. There's dedicated Christians in the red box or the Republican box. We live in a world today, though, and, and let me say this as well, committed Christians on both sides. Committed Christians on both sides. In the next few days, their parties are going to be spending literally tens of millions of dollars on little sound bites, on social media. Uh, they're going to be, you're getting, getting things in the mail, you're getting robocalls, and all they're trying to do is to get you in their box. What they're saying is they want you to hear a little phrase that has something to do with your gender or, or with your race or something with finances. And they say, get in the blue box. And then the other side will say something to you and it appeals to something else. And what they're saying is, get in this box. We want you to vote for our party. Vote for what we value. Vote for what we stand for. And that's kind of where we stand today. But I'm going to suggest to you that as Christians, you and I, our identity should not be the blue box or the red box, but our identity should be the Word of God. That when we go into the voting booth, that we're not just voting for a party, we're not just voting for a person, but we're voting for principles that are taught in the Bible, come on, that will affect us for days to come. If it's, and this creates attention. Listen, one of my parents uh, is, a, is a Democrat and one's a Republican, so I know what it's like to duke it out at home. Come on now. Uh, I know what it's like. Uh, if you want to put me in a box, if you want to label me, here's the label I want you to put on me. Call me a conservative Bible-believing Christian. Here's the problem, though. We don't have a Christian party in America today. Moses is not running for office. You'll look for him on the ballot. He will not be there. The best we have in America today, we have, there's about at least 15 different political parties in America. All of them have ideas and opinions, but when it boils down to it, you don't have 15 people who are going to be debating this week. You're going to have two different parties. And I want to go and look in their own words what they have to say about some very clear moral issues. Now, I'll do my best this morning to make a distinction between things that are very clear and Bible-based and things that are my opinion. 
And if there's something that's my opinion, listen, do with it like you do when you eat a watermelon. How many know when you cut open a watermelon? And how many like watermelon, by the way? Yeah, boy, I do too. I get them as early as they come and hang on to them as long as I can. But when I cut it open and I see seeds, I don't throw it away. I just eat them and I spit out the seeds. So I invite you to do the same thing if you think something's an opinion. If something really gets you upset, then uh, go ahead and send a text to Pastor Mike, 903 Pastor Mike, and we'll make sure that we kind of help you out there real quickly. But I guarantee this morning, I'm going to have something to offend everybody in here if you want to get offended. That's why I've installed seat belts on the chairs this week. So just like on the airplane when we encounter turbulence and you see the little light starting to blink, just go ahead and tighten your seatbelt a little bit and I promise you the plane will land at the end and we'll all still be friends and brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. Okay, here we go. Genesis chapter 1, again, a biblical comparison of the Democratic and the Republican Party platforms. And mind you, these are national and these are, 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 are state big issues. This A party platform, as I understand it, was generated kind of grassroots from the bottom up. It makes its way up the party. They have a vote on it in the party convention. Somehow, the bottom end, the leaders decide what they're going to do. But here's the problem. Rather than just being Republicans and Democrats, I believe that there's liberal Democrats and conservative Democrats. I believe there is liberal Republicans and conservative Republicans. So when you look at the parties, listen, it's all sorts of things going on. And as a matter of fact, I guarantee you, if you would have gone to the Democrat and Democrat and Republican convention, you would have probably found as many drunk people committing adultery at both parties. So let's just start right there. I'm not trying to get you to get in my box, whatever my box is. My box is a conservative Christian box, but there's not one of those at the poll. I want to challenge you to look into the Word of God and let it influence you as you live your life in this issue as well as any other. So the five things we're going to talk about. The first one, I want to talk about God and religious freedom. God and religious freedom. What do the parties have to say? What are they doing in terms of leadership in America? On the center screen will be the verses. On the side will be the platforms. Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, you know it, God. Stop right there. In the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth. There's an understanding and a presupposition in the Bible that not only does God exist, He has eternally existed. He's the one that makes the rules. Come on. He's the one that is behind every good thing in this life. He's the one that's, he's the source of the food chain. Come on. He's the one that puts oxygen in the air. And he's the one to whom one day we will stand before and give an account on judgment day. Now, how many know, don't you think it'd be pretty important to talk about him in your platform? Well, in the Republican platform, there are 12 different mentions of God. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're praying in Jesus' name and Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm talking about like on your money, in God we trust. Twelve different mentions. In 2008, you see, they changed it, updated every four years. In 2008, there were two, two to twelve. The Democrats had one in 2008 and they have one in 2012. Let's read what some of the, some of the things that they say. Uh, the Republican, this is what they say in, in some of the, uh, the issues of the twelve times. It says, we offer our Republican vision of a free people using their, say it with me, God-given talents. So that is, everything that I have, everything that I am, God is behind it. And this next phrase is, in my opinion, probably the most powerful thing in the whole platform. It says, our rights come from... You say, well, I thought government told us what we could and couldn't do. That's the problem in America today. Government has become God. They go on to say... These rights should be protected by government. And the only just government is the one that truly governs with the consent of the governed. In case you've forgotten, our founding document reminds us that it is we the people, come on, that are in charge of this country. Well, it's a power struggle going on, and it's not just on the Democrat, and it's not just on the Republican. How many know you get ungodly people in places of power? They have a different agenda than we the people. Anyway, here's some of the other things they say. They talk about the God-given natural beauty and resources of our country. In other words, we didn't come from frogs and, you know, the earth is not just arbitrary. We're not here because nothing created everything for no purpose. We're here because God created the beauty of the earth. Uh, They talk about to defend the law-abiding citizens' God-given right of self-defense. Second Amendment, may God continue to shed His grace on the United States of America. Those are some pretty cool things. The Democrat platform. We need a government that stands up for the hopes 
the values and interests of working people. Now, how about the rest of us? How about if you're not working? How about if you're disabled? How about if you're if you uh, are too old to work? How about if you're a baby in the womb? Thank God that they care for working people, but I believe our government should care for all of us and gives everyone willing to work, to work hard, the chance to make the most of their, say it with me, God-given potential. And can I tell you, that's a good thing. I'm glad it's in the platform that there's an acknowledgement of God. But let me tell you this. If you watch the party uh, in their debate, in their convention, they had, they had decided prior to the platform, I guess the platform committee, that they were removing God from the party platform. You can see this on YouTube. It's pretty amazing. Removing God from the party platform and removing the strong support for the nation of Israel. I'll talk more about that later. And then they decided they would bring it to the House floor. Here's what they replaced the phrase with, willing to work hard to make the most of their God-given potential. What they suggested in their first, uh, in their revision, they said, uh, let's see, they replaced it with each one of us should be able to go as far as our talent and drive take us. Each one of us should go as far as our talent and drive should take us. That's very different from our God-given potential. Because there has been an evolution in this party away from traditional values, away from God. And listen now, there's a whole bunch of ungodly people in the Republican Party too. And just because it's in the platform doesn't mean that the governor, the president, or anybody else is going to fully do it. You understand this? But it's like a statement of faith in a church. It's the, it's the thing that's in writing that binds people together. Uh, this concern, what does it mean, in my opinion, when a party fails to exclude God? It means that secular people are taking over, that liberal people are taking over. And uh, as I told you earlier, we don't have a Christian party. You know what I'm saying? We don't have Moses running. But secular people don't want anything to do with God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But that concerns me greatly. Benjamin Franklin said this, a founding father, If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's notice... How can a nation stand without his guidance? Benjamin Franklin led the Constitutional Convention when they could not get along and even decide on our founding documents. He said, hey guys, listen, we need to pray about this. We need to pray about this. If you are a product of modern-day education, you have been taught that our founders had, didn't really believe in God. They had nothing to do with God, and that's all kind of Christian mythology. I challenge you to go to wall builders, David Barton, Google it, put founders' quotes, and you will be amazed at the scores and scores and scores of comments that these men that founded, their, uh, founded this great nation literally believed in the Bible. Uh, these Supreme Court justices, governors, presidents, talked about Jesus Christ, talked about the Christian faith welcomed all religions, come on now, but said that this is decidedly a Christian nation and God is the heart of it. Now, let me tell you one reason why this concerns me is the, the religious freedom for Christians in America is under assault. Let me say it again. Religious freedom in America is under assault. Now, if you don't believe that, I wish I were President Obama's pastor. I wish I was one of those guys, not so I could ride the airplane, but just so I could... I don't like to fly in case you didn't know, but... My only joke, I got it, it's true, but that's the only one. <laughs> I'd just like to talk to him and say, Mr. President, why, why? And let me give you some examples of how religious freedom is under attack. The Catholic bishops, now, these guys have, have the largest network in place to help people that are caught in human trafficking. That's the sex trade. That's when kids, young boys, young girls, teenagers get abducted and they're sold into sexual slavery. These Catholic bishops have the biggest network uh, around the world to help these people, but because they wouldn't refer the girls who got pregnant out of the system to, for an abortion, they were denied government funding. I'd like to ask our president, why did that happen? I'd like to ask him why a Catholic adoption agency, one of the largest, I believe the largest in Massachusetts, quit fostering adoptions in Massachusetts because the state told them you have to foster same-sex adoptions as well as opposite-sex adoptions. And they said it violates our religious conviction. And they said, listen now, same-sex marriage trumps religious freedom. Uh, abortion trumps religious freedom. That's the battle that's going on in our world today. What is most important? Today, as we are here, there are dozens and dozens of lawsuits filed by Christian colleges, filed by uh, uh, Christian schools, uh, hospitals, businesses like Hobby Lobby. They're suing the federal government to try to stop the imposition of the new health care, of Obamacare, that's forcing them to, in their health plans, provide coverage so people can take the morning-after pill and induce an abortion. 
And they say, we believe that's wrong. We believe life is created in the image of God. And basically our government has just snubbed its nose at people. I'd like to ask why. Walter Reed Army Hospital forbids bringing Bibles while visiting a patient. The uh, cemetery, Houston, uh, Houston Cemetery, Ar- uh, one of the cemeteries in, uh, near Houston, forbidding the name of God to be mentioned, forgetting uh, Jesus to be included in funerals. Something's wrong in America. We are headed in the wrong direction when it comes to religious freedom. Our First Amendment right guarantees us, come on, the freedom of our religion. It doesn't guarantee the state to be free from religion. It guarantees that religious people will be free from the interference of the state. Now, that's a big, big thing. And how many believe we need to decide on the side of religious freedom in America today? I do, too. Let's look at another. Well, if you made it through that point, I think we'll probably make it the rest of the way. So go ahead and you can loosen your seatbelt a little bit. The sanctity of life. The sanctity of life. Abortion, euthanasia. The value of a human being. Yesterday I listened twice to a, a tape by, or a podcast by Rick Warren. And he believed, as I do, as Tony Evans, African-American pastor, mega church in Dallas. He's also the chaplain for the Mavericks and for the Cowboys. They too, as I believe, that the right to life is arguably the greatest issue, not only in this book, in the entire platform, but what we're discussing in America today. Because if you don't have the right to live, you don't have any other rights. Everything else is literally non-existent, if your fundamental right to life is not protected. Why do we as a Christian, why do I as a Bible-believing pastor espouse the right of an unborn child? I'll tell you, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. What does that mean? That means that human beings are distinct and different from any other life form on the planet. It doesn't mean that we look like God. It doesn't mean God is six foot tall and has a beard. But what it simply means is we share the spiritual nature of God. We will never be God now, but we share in His nature. We share in His capacity to reason, to experience emotion. We share in His capacity to enjoy and experience love in our lives. We're created in the image of God, and that's why human beings have value. Now listen, this has been turned upside down in America today. In America, protected animal species have more rights than a child in the womb. In America today, my friends, states now are are, are wanting to be behind assisted suicide. And you say, well, it's a mercy killing. My question is, how far will a mercy killing go? You see, life is valuable not because it's productive to society. We that are baby boomers will find out one day as America continues to go down this slippery slope and we become broker and broker and there's less and less money, fewer and fewer nations willing to loan money to us, and the printing presses are wearing out because we printed so much that when you need health care at the end of your life, it's going to be the compassionate thing to do to go ahead and take your life because you're using so much health care dollars. Are you with me today? The value of a handicapped child, the value of a child in the womb is not based on their productivity, but it's not based on their race, but it is based on the fact that they're created in the image of God. <laughs> Jeremiah 1.5, the prophet Jeremiah. Now listen to this. Before I formed you in the womb, I... Stop. Before you were born... While you were being put together, the psalmist said, in the mother's womb. I didn't know, God didn't say, I didn't know fetal material. I didn't know the product of conception. I didn't know human potential. I knew you as a person. And personhood is a God-given gift. Sexual, uh, the act of sexual intercourse is a biological function. But when the sperm and egg unite, life forms When they passed Roe versus Wade in 73, they didn't have ultrasounds and sonograms like we do today to see. Today, you're having doctors offering testimony that children at 20 weeks of age are feeling the pain of an abortion. We didn't know then what we know today. But the defense of this barbaric practice, my friends, is greater than it has ever been before. God told Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then Exodus 20 says this, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not... Say it again. You shall not take an innocent life. God is the giver of life. Man does not have the right to take a human life. Our founders who built America on the Scripture 
Our founders said this in our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, which means any person can see this without having read a Bible or been educated, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and that among these are life. First one, the right to live. And it is the responsibility of government not to give me rights, but to protect my rights. The right to life. Liberty is a big one. But liberty is being curtailed by our government today. And happiness is the only thing, the hedonistic pursuit of unlimited happiness is the only thing that's advocated in America today. And the declaration goes on to say that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So the right of government is not to give me things. It's not to give me special rights. It is simply to protect my God-given rights that are already there. But if you don't share a biblical worldview, and how many know whether you embrace a biblical worldview or not, that's not what makes it true. The Bible says of itself, and one day we'll find out, but it says of itself that it is the Word of God. Let me read the two platforms. The Democrat platform begins this way. The Democratic Party strongly and unequivocally supports Roe versus Wade. That's a Supreme Court case, 1973, that was supposed to make abortion safe, legal, and rare. What it did is it made it legal. It is anything but rare, over a million children a year through an abortion. And you think I'm just some white guy on the stage talking that doesn't have a clue, a man. I want to tell you, I know firsthand about this, okay? I understand about this, just like many of you in this room do as well. Safe, sometimes. The requirements of an abortion clinic are not the same as other medical facilities. Safe, legal, and rare. Regardless of their ability to pay. In other words, if you can't pay for it, this is so important, we the people will pay for it. The Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, ensures that women have access to contraception in their health insurance plans. And if they can't pay for it, someone else will. Democrats support evidence-based and age-appropriate sex education. I don't know about you, but I don't want the government educating my child, come on, about sex from a family clinic that's big concern is to get them having sex as often as possible. Come on. Sex is a beautiful thing, but God put it in the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. And it's a cool thing to be a virgin when you marry. Come on, it's a cool thing to be sexually chaste when you're single. It's a cool thing to share a sexual relationship with one spouse, come on, for the rest of your life. That is not the philosophy of the world that when the world talks about teaching your kids about sex education. Now, that was a fact. That wasn't an opinion. That was a fact. Okay. But let me say this. Again, I'm not trying to get you to be a Republican or a Democrat or leave either party. I'm just trying to tell you in their own words what they believe and what you're going to go to the voting booth on a national level and make a decision. But I would like to say I applaud the Democrats that are aware that there is a problem with unwanted pregnancy in America. Come on now. We cannot in a church building just stick our head in the sand and say, well, you know what? They shouldn't have abortions. But there is a right way and there is a wrong way. Come on. And the path that we're on in America today is not the biblical right way. Let me tell you the Republican platform. This is very lengthy, but I couldn't figure out what to cut out. Now, I'm going to need a little extra time today. Will you give me this morning about an extra 10, 12 minutes or so? Who will give me a little extra time? Ten, 5, 10, 15, 20. I don't need any more than 15, okay? I've got it all right there, so just, just, just hang with me. The Republican platform. We assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution. We oppose using public revenues to perform or promote abortions or fund organizations, Planned Parenthood, which perform or advocate it and will not fund or subsidize health care, which includes abortion coverage. Now, every one of us know America's health care system is broken. Every one of us knows it needs fixing. Come on, because every one of us needs health care. Come on. We all know that it's broken, but I'm not convinced that the solution is for the government to take over one-sixth of the American economy. Come on. I think there's a better way. The only opportunity you have as a voter to make a decision, though, is in this election because the two candidates are going in different directions on it. We support the appointment of judges who respect traditional family values and the sanctity of innocent human life. 
Maybe you're here today and you say, well, my vote doesn't really matter. I'm telling you, whoever is elected to the highest office of the land will appoint at least two Supreme Court justices in the next go-round, my friends, and they will set the, social, the, the course and the agenda for America for decades and generations to come. You don't think federal judges matter? In the state of California, in Prop 8, the people voted that marriage would be between a man and a woman, won by a pretty good percentage, but a federal judge said, oh no, unconstitutional, and threw it out the door. I'm telling you, these men and women have power, and who you vote for makes a difference. We oppose the non-consensual withholding. Now we're talking about taking life. We're talking about euthanasia. We're talking about taking life. We oppose the non-consensual withholding or withdrawing care or treatment from people with disabilities, including newborns, as well as the elderly and the infirm, just as we oppose active and passive euthanasia and assisted suicide. Now, if you don't think that's a big deal, baby boomers, 10,000 of us a day are retiring and saying, send me my check, come on, and you've paid into the system. The problem is they've already spent it and there's no lockbox anywhere. And one day, you're going to need care, and there's not enough young working people in America today because 50 million of them have died through abortion that could have been taxpayers to help fund Social Security. We don't think of the consequences of our action. And you don't think when you're old and in the nursing home that the survivors of abortion, do you think they're going to have a strong pro-life opinion on keeping you alive? Now, that's a reasoned opinion right there. We urge Congress to strengthen the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. What does that mean? Do you realize in America today we have to have laws that say if a child survives an abortion that they live or they die? Now look, I don't agree with this, but I can understand the logic behind a, a, a child that's, you know, that could fit on the head of a, of a pen or, or a pencil. I, could, I, I, I can reasonably understand it. I don't agree with it now, but I cannot understand the barbarism. The barbarism that justifies killing a young child that could live alone, survive outside the womb of a mother just to protect the sacred right of an abortion. Something's wrong. We call for a ban on the use of body parts from aborted fetuses for research. We oppose the killing of embryos for their stem cells. Listen to this one. We seek to protect young girls from exploitation through a parental consent requirement. What does that mean? That means that your daughter should, in much of America today, can get an abortion without your knowledge. But she cannot take a Tylenol in school without your permission. Something is wrong. We affirm the moral obligation to assist rather than penalize women challenged by an unplanned pregnancy. What does that mean? That we realize it's a problem and we want to help people that are in trouble. Come on. And if you know someone that is having a baby and they don't want the baby and they can't afford it and they're not married and they don't know what to do, that woman needs your help. She needs our Christian compassion. She needs our encouragement. She needs our help. She needs our financial help. Come on. She needs somebody to help her, somebody to help with an adoption. We salute those who provide them with counseling and adoption alternatives. What does that mean? Crisis pregnancy centers. And we empower them to choose life. And we take comfort in the tremendous increase in adoptions. They're two different philosophies. We renew our call for replacing family planning programs. You see, so many of these government programs sound good. But the name is not always what it does. Family planning is code for abortion, friend. It's code for condoms. We, we uh, replace these programs for teens with abstinence education, which teaches abstinence until marriage as the responsible and respected standard of behavior. Now, if I was a president's pastor, I'd say, Mr. President, why, when you became president, did you shut down or allow to be shut down all the abstinence-based programs in America? I'd want, thankfully, one returned in 2012, but I'm telling you, friends, it's a different vision for America. In 1973, the Supreme Court invented the right to an abortion out of thin air. They used the 14th Amendment, they used the right to privacy, and poof, a million abortions a year are legal. But my friends, it was not the founder's intent that every issue in modern society could be anticipated by these men hundreds of years ago. That's why those that favor what's called a living constitution that changes to the times. No, these men, when they wrote our constitution, presupposed that the people that would govern our land had a Bible foundation. And these issues that were not addressed in the constitution, that they would go to the Bible to find out what God thought about the issues and they would make a decision. 
You don't believe me? Go back. Read Blackstone's commentary of the law. All the lawyers and jurists were trained through a book that literally was filled with Bible verses. The dictionary of the day in 1828, Webster's Dictionary, filled with Bible scriptures that explain what words mean. I'm telling you, friends, we live in a different America and our history classes have lied to us. Let me give you a third one. Marriage. Marriage. Again, the third one. God. The right to life. Marriage. Again, I agree with, uh, with uh, Rick Warren. I agree with Tony Evans. Now, the Bible says, these are the words of Jesus Christ, what marriage is. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. The best place for a child to be raised. Come on is a home that needs both a male role model and a female role model. And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, this is where the blessing is. The man, the woman, a covenant relationship for life. Children come from this. Intimacy comes from this relationship. Let non-man separate. Jesus said this. He looked back to Genesis. He jumped ahead to the life of Christ. Paul the Apostle talked about it. It is unequivocally in the Bible. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, you can shut down the preacher. But just because you shut down the preacher doesn't mean that you make what God has called wrong right. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, and it'll talk about it, nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Oh, yeah, but you're one of those hate-speak fellows. No, I'm not. I'm trying to warn people who are going 60 miles an hour in the fog to a bridge that's out. I'm trying to tell them that there's danger ahead, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. And just because you have taken the word hate to place it on me, You've misappropriated a term. Let me say this unequivocally. Homosexual people are welcome at Church on the Rock. Adulterers are welcome at Church on the Rock. Fornicators are welcome at Church on the Rock. Pornographers are welcome at Church on the Rock. Not to continue to practice now, okay? All right? (laughs) Don't get me wrong there. I know when we said hello uh, before I preached and you said, you know, high five, you sure are looking good. I'm sure some of you thought you were really looking good, but that is not what we're talking about. We're saying we come to church broken people in need of a Savior. Come on, and God is the one that puts our life back together. Now, you hear arguments in America today, and I've done lengthy sermons on all these points that I don't have time to today. But in our world today, the argument is, well, you know what? I I was born that way. Well, guess what? I was born with the potential to be an adulterer. I've got to be honest with you. I don't have any attraction to men. I have to be careful of my attraction to women. Like you don't. So, and, and just because I have feelings doesn't mean I have to actualize and act on those feelings. I, I listened to a podcast yesterday and the preacher said, you know, when I got married to my wife, that didn't stop me having attraction for other people. Now listen, I've just chosen not to act on it. That's different than trying to say something's right. That God calls wrong. Come on. And just because I feel it right doesn't make it right. The Republican platform. We affirm and support a constitutional amendment defining marriage as the union of one man and one woman. We embrace the principle that all Americans should be treated with respect and dignity. What does that mean? That means that whether you're gay or straight... You deserve to be treated like a human being, not a second-class citizen. That's saying bullying is wrong. That's saying, come on. You know what it's saying. We will enforce and defend in court the Defense of Marriage Act. The Defense of Marriage Act was passed under President Clinton, a Democrat. Both houses, both parties voted overwhelmingly that marriage in America is between a man and a woman. If I were our president's pastor, I'd say, Mr. President, I believe you made a mistake when you told the Justice Department to stop defending this law. The Democrat platform. We support marriage equality and support the movement to secure equal treatment under law for same-sex couples. We support the full repeal of Defense of Marriage Act and the passage of Respect for Marriage Act. I have respect for marriage as well. I just believe it needs to be on God's terms. 
And not only do I believe that, but thousands of African-American pastors believe that. When our president came out in support of same-sex marriage, listen, there was an uproar in the African-American community because all these folks, listen now, that, that were thrilled beyond measure that an African-American held the highest office of the land. I'm going to tell you what. I can't understand that because I'm a white guy, in case you didn't know. I mean, you see, my skin is, I'm a pale face. But they were proud. But now the challenge is what's more important, race or Bible principles? Now, see, you could have gone to a church this morning and you could have been on the third Reader's Digest story and it would have been totally different. You just keep your seatbelt tight on me this morning. Now, listen, when this is all over, I'm going to love you. Come on. However you vote, whoever you are, whatever you do, because I'm your pastor. I'm not a politician. I am not running for office, and I'm not working for the Republicans or the Democrats. Come on. I am your pastor, and I care enough to the best of my ability to tell you the truth. Because it is my job to preach the Word of God. Let me give you another one. Care for the poor. This is big. Care for the poor. Galatians 2, here's what the Bible says. Peter, James, and John, the three great pillars of the early church. These men, Jewish men. And they're talking to Paul the apostle. And they said, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing that I was eager to do. So, can you just, right off the bat on this, say, thank God that America has programs in place that we care for people who cannot care for themselves. Thank God we live in a nation that when it's retirement time... When it's disability time, come on. When it's, when, it's, when it's I can't make it time, when I'm hungry, when it's that time, when I need a place to say, thank God that we live in a nation that cares to invest our money in our people. But the question is, how do we best do this? And a bigger question is, what role is this government's job anyway? Is it government's job to take your money and my money, come on, and then distribute it as they see fit? I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. Or could that best be handled the way it was handled for generations that the church is the one that takes care of people? Come on. That it's the families that take care of people. That it's neighbors that take care of people. Jesus said in Matthew 26, and this is important, you will always have the poor with you. You will always have poor people. Second Thessalonians 3, if anyone is not willing to work, I may like to eat. Democrat platform. Listen to the first statement. We must make ending poverty a national priority. We must end poverty as a national priority. What did Jesus tell us? Is maybe the starting place wrong? Maybe the starting place is wrong. We will continue. And then they list government programs. And again, thank God. This is, a, this is very tenuous. Thank God we have help in place. But at some point, listen, you, you can't make everybody rich if you're the government. Come on. You can repossess all the wealth of the, of the rich folks and it'll only run this government for a couple months. I'm not, not talking about their taxes. I'm talking about everything they own. And it'll only run this out-of-control government for just a very little while. We will continue to fight for equal pay for equal work, strong labor movement, that's unions, access to world-class education for every child, that's great. But it troubles me when our leaders, our politicians, when they go to Washington, they put their children in the finest private schools available, and the poor children in the District of Columbia were denied vouchers so that their parents could choose a school that would best help their kids. Something's a little out of whack there. People aren't going to Washington to serve we the people. Come on. That was an opinion, and I'm going to stop it right there. We will continue the improvements in refundable tax credits for low-income families to encourage work, good thing, and education, good thing, while lifting families out of poverty. Listen to the Republican platform. Instead of undermining the expectation that low-income parents and individuals should strive to support themselves, a little too complicated. I'm sure a lawyer wrote that. Here's what they're saying. Every person in their heart of hearts needs to believe that they can take care of themselves. Every person needs to take responsibility. Now listen, if you can't take care of yourself, it's one thing. If you're lazy and refuse to take care of yourself, that's another. And the Bible prescription for you is go on a forced diet. You don't work, you don't... I didn't say that. Now that's not an opinion. But he goes on to say, benefit programs like food stamps must ensure that these benefits are better targeted to those who need help the most. 
for the sake of low-income families as well as taxpayers. In other words, that's all of us, those on the receiving end and those on the paying end. The federal government's entire system of public assistance should be reformed to ensure that it promotes work. Now, you don't think there's a problem here. More people in June applied for disability than got jobs. Government entitlement programs are out of control. And what we have today is not possible for the long-term future. I don't care who is in office. We are in a financial crisis and nightmare in America. And I'm telling you, if you're, if you're living off the government, there may be a day the government won't be able to take care of you. Right now, what they're doing is they're promising you, if you just get in my box, then I'll take care of you. Let me illustrate this for you. I have a teenage daughter, Bethany. She's 20. She's in college. She has my credit card for emergencies. Red Lobster, sale at Dillard's, I'm just teasing, she's a great girl. But I have to look at that credit card several times a month. Now, how many have kids and you look at their credit card? Come on, be honest with me now. What do the rest of you do? I'd like to be your child. Would you adopt me? And I look at it because it's in my name. And when she starts getting a little too liberal with my money, I say, honey, you've got to cut back a little bit. Yes, Dad. And she's doing real good. She's 20. And guess what I told her when she started? Honey, you're going to have to get a job. And that's not just because Dad doesn't have money for your every whim. It's because you need to learn how to be responsible, honey. Because you cannot, go, you cannot just stay with Daddy taking care of you and then assume some man's going to take care of you. Come on. Or assume the government's going to take care of you. Honey, you need to be able to take care of yourself. You, you need to get a job. Okay, Daddy. And she's working in a daycare. She's working in a preschool. She's working minimum wage. And now she's just started a little business on her own. Now listen, if the government wants to do something to really help make us prosperous, what if it helped all of us start businesses and small business? What if instead of wasting this money on, on, on all their buddies, what if they invested in we the people, come on, and, 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 everyone, and you started a business and you became wealthy? That makes a lot more sense to me than just barely getting by, come on, and then having to stand in line to get a free cell phone, come on. I mean, at some point, they cannot give me enough stuff to get, give me the life I want to live. Little opinion, mostly truth. <laughs> Matthew 5. Let me talk a, 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 a last one. Pornography, prosecuting pornography and obscenity. Now we're talking about the morality of the culture. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm simply someone that's commanded to preach the word. Matthew 5. Jesus said this. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and this applies... The, flips out as well, has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, if you're in the world, adultery doesn't matter. If though one day you realize you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life, and you want to love the Lord with all your heart, and you want to please the author of the Bible, it does matter. And what pornography does is it fosters lust in your heart. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at his girl. Not because I don't want to, but because it is an unrighteous and ungodly thing to do. But I'm telling you, friends, it's a different world out there. Those girls, come on, are hopping around on your Weather Channel screen and everywhere else, and they're saying, date me, see me, what's your name, click here. And guys, too, come on, big old, you know, biceps like mine here and everything else. I mean, they're... they're... <laughs> Obscenity, Ezra 9, 11. The land you're taking... I was about to slip into a lie then. That's why I quit talking... <laughs> The land you're taking over is polluted with obscene vulgarities of the people who live there. They filled it with their moral rot from one end to the other. Your Republican platform says we urge active prosecution against child pornography. Does it trouble you that you're seeing on the newspaper more and more ch uh, uh, adults molesting children... All they're doing is acting out what the Supreme Court said you can do with pornography because here's what perversion does. Perversion takes you further and further and further. And what used to satisfy you, a normal, healthy sexual relationship, it becomes more perverse, come on, because lust is all self-centered for a feeling that God gave you to share in an act of intimate love with another person. We believe in active prosecution against child porn. Current laws on all forms of pornography and obscenity need to be vigorously enforced. Your Democrat platform says nothing about this. I think this is important. Have you noticed? Now, look, I like to watch TV. It's my, it's my escape. 
Have you noticed, though, that TV, and I'm just talking about normal TV. I'm not talking about the Girls Gone Wild channel. I'm talking about normal. Well, well that's on Andy Griffith now, too. So, I mean, I'm talking about just movies that I used to watch years ago when I record that movie. And I watched TV with DVR. I'd say, here's an actor I like, you know, pull up everything with Kevin Coster. Well, movies that I used to, or whatever, but movies I used to watch, now I'm noticing in the first two minutes, they've taken away all the moral controls. In the first two minutes, if I'll make it that long, I'm liable to see a woman with no top on, and I'm liable to hear the F-bomb. If I'm not going to watch TV if I have to shut my door so my kids can't listen. I'm telling you, I am offended. I am offended that our government is not doing its job to protect us and to do anything to protect some level of morality in America today. I am offended. Well, I'm about done. You know, there's a lot more issues in the hand I don't have time to address, but I do want to bring up one, and that's the nation of Israel. I'm very happy to tell you. And you say, why does it matter? Well, to Abraham, God made this promise. To Abraham, God said this. He said, those that bless you, I'll bless, and those that curse you, I'll curse. Not only is she our greatest democratic ally in the Middle East, but she is a spiritual ally. The Christian, the Gentile Christian was grafted in, come on, to this root when the Jewish people rejected their Messiah. But the Bible tells us in Romans that the Jews will be grafted in one day. Come on. And Jesus is not coming back to New York City. Jesus Christ is coming back, come on, to Jerusalem. He's going to set his feet down there. And it matters. And can I tell you, friends, it matters. Uh, both parties, I'm happy to tell you, in their platform will express their commitment to Israel's security. I'm very happy with that, but I'm also very concerned because in the Democrat National Convention, when they were removing God at the same time, they were, they were pulling back our support for the nation of Israel. I am thrilled that people rose up or some pollster said, hey, wait a second, guys, you guys that are booing God, this is important for America here. I'm telling you, it concerns me a little bit. If I was our president's pastor, I would ask him. See, because I'm not educated on all these foreign affairs and things, I'll be up front with you. But it just seems to me that if Pres or Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel wants to meet with our president and Iran has been telling them publicly and everywhere else that they're going to blow us up, blow Israel up, wipe them off the map and obliterate them, don't you think you ought to take them seriously? Well, why do you get restraining orders? Listen, if you feel like somebody's going to hurt you, why do you get a restraining order to protect you? Isn't that the greatest responsibility of law enforcement and government to protect the citizens? Come on. And if somebody's saying they're going to blow up your greatest ally, I'd like to know, Mr. President, why would you not meet with him when he was in New York at the U.N., but yet you had time to go on television with Whoopi Goldberg? I mean, it just, again, I'm not a foreign policy expert, but something just doesn't seem right to me. And listen, don't get me wrong. I pray for our president every day. And I realize uh, a lot of you have your seatbelts on tight. But I'm telling you, policies matter in America, and truth matters and sometimes our identity is so connected with the box that we've been living in. I watched the vice presidential debates the other night. I listened. Those were two very educated, intelligent, articulate men. When Biden said, don't worry about Iran. They don't have a rocket. I wanted to hit the television. What about a suitcase bomb, sir? If they just get some of that material, they can just strew it all over the world and then threaten us that if you, if you protect Israel, then we'll blow up six suitcase bombs and come on, in New Orleans and Las Vegas and, and, and L.A. and Memphis. And, that just, I, I'm just, kind of makes sense to me. I listened to our vice president, who I pray for. We prayed for him that night at 8 o'clock when our little alarm went off. But I listened to him and I listened to, uh, to, to uh, Congressman Ryan. And when they both said that they're Catholic people, I said, praise the Lord. They're Catholic people. And they both said, we stand for the right to life. But then my vice president disappointed me. I'd like to spend a little time with him as well. And I'd say, you know what? When you told me that you believed in the right to life, but you wouldn't enforce your convictions on anybody else, I'd say, sir, then why will you enforce your tax policy on me? 
Why will you enforce on me uh, treaties from the UN that will take my rights away as an American? Why will you force your version of health care on me? Come on. And tell me it's a difference when you won't defend the most basic rights of the unborn. I believe is one of the greatest responsibilities of a leader to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And that's Bible. That's not opinion. Listen, I'm wrapping up here. Got a lot to say here. I really appreciate you hanging in with me today. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Pastor, this is kind of pastoral counselor. They said, Pastor, I'm thinking about voting for Governor Romney, but he's a Mormon. Well, here was my reply. You're not voting for his theology any more than you should be voting for President Obama's race. You should be voting for policies and what you believe to be biblical principles that these two men stand for. Now, listen, if this thing, what I've been talking about to this point was was national state issues. It's a little different locally, and I'll illustrate that for you. There's two men running for sheriff in Bowie County. Right now, Sheriff Prince is a member of our church. Mike Landers used to be a member of our church. I know both these guys. Both those men are committed Christian people. And both those men have good hearts, and both those men will absolutely do their best. Come on. Both those men, I believe, are conservative like I am. That's a little bit of a dilemma for me when something like that comes up. I mean, no, local, it's, it's people you can know. It's people that you can talk to. It's things that you need to pursue with, 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 with people that are in the loop there. Uh, listen, I'd vote for both of them, but I know both of them would arrest me after the election if I did that, so I, 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 can't, I can't do that, so I'm going to have to pray that through. Let me wrap up with this. Let me wrap up with just a little bit of opinion. When I tell you that I'm a conservative, let me tell you what that means. When I'm a conservative Christian, on a personal level, I'm concerned about our economy and our out-of-control debt. If we continue on the path that we're on, America will collapse. I believe government needs to be smaller and individual freedom greater. I believe the states need more power and the federal government needs less. That's called federalism. I believe we should enforce, I believe that, I believe local school boards can do a better job of educating our children than somebody at a bureaucrat in Washington somewhere. I believe states need more power. I believe we should enforce existing immigration policy. It should be birthed in the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, but we're a nation of laws. Listen now, it shouldn't be a political football. If you're going to be an American, learn to speak English. You say, well, you're a racist, a bigot, or whatever. Why is it every disagreement today that makes you a hate monger, a racist, or a bigot, or something? Why can't you have a conversation in America? My grandparents immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia. And listen, in their home, they spoke Latvian, and I didn't have a clue what they were saying. But when they committed to live in America, they agreed that they would not only support our Constitution, but they would speak our language. Come on, that that would unite us. We don't have anything uniting the different groups in America today. We've all become political footballs. Come on, to get votes, to get people to get in a certain box. I believe in American sovereignty. I don't believe the UN should control or tax America. I believe we're paying too much in taxes, and it concerns me when we talk about reducing our military, when both China and Russia are escalating their militaries, come on, and the greatest responsibility of a government is to protect its citizens because there can be peace through strength, not just to go to war. And when I tell you this morning that I am a Christian conservative, I am one that believes the Bible, this is what I believe. And to the best of my ability today... To the best of my ability, I've done my job to you to preach the Word of God. Let me wrap up with this. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. You know, this prop was not just an illustration It's the way people are living. And I know I've made you uncomfortable this morning, and I don't apologize for that. Because truth sometimes makes us uncomfortable. If if, if I'm wrong in some things, shoot me an email. Send it to the church. And if I'm wrong, I'll apologize, and we'll we'll, we'll try to do things right. Because truth matters. You're going to be assaulted in the next couple weeks or so about which box to get in. And it won't be through reasoned appeal. Most of it will come through sound bites. And here's what will happen. 
we're going to lower your taxes and they're going to raise them. And they say, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> and then these they say, we're going to lower your taxes. No, we're going to lower your taxes and they're, no, yeah, we're going to lower them and they're going to raise them. And then they say, liar, liar, pants on fire. This is pretty confusing, but I want to encourage you this. When you go into that voting booth, it's a sacred duty as a Christian. And I hope today that I have just challenged you to think, what does the Bible say about issues that matter? I hope you, I hope you don't vote someone based on the way they look or they're cute on TV. You know, don't, don't, don't just vote because of the union. Don't just vote because of party affiliation. Listen, try as best you're able to, to find godly people that can help turn this nation around. Because here's something I know. Listen, Republicans cannot turn the nation. You elect Romney tomorrow and he cannot turn America around. Let me tell you, he cannot fix the problems. They're so big. You give President Obama four more years. He's not going to fix America. Come on. Only God can fix this mess. That's why the Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, listen, if they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. And that's my, that's who I'm voting for. Listen, I'm voting for King Jesus. My, my first allegiance is not to R's or D's or independents or libertarians or green parties or anybody else. My first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. I am a citizen of heaven, and whatever happens on this earth, one day, friend, come on, we've got eternity to live this thing. And uh, let, let me close with this thought. Pastor Tony Evans, again, huge megachurch there in Dallas, African-American. Here's how he recommends people to vote. Get your sheet of paper, four columns. First column, write down the issue. Write down the issue. Things that you're hearing about. Second column, what do the Democrats believe? Third column, what do the Republicans believe? And then the fourth column is the most important. What does God say about it? What does God say about it? And you just start on your sheet of paper and you work on it between now and the time to vote. Which, by the way, for the first time in our history around here, we're going to be able to vote on a Sunday, October 28th. And what we're going to encourage on that day that you just join us right after church, we go down and vote, you know. This is Texas, now Bowie County. We go and vote and then maybe go out to eat or something like that. But, but that's a big deal. But listen, you put those four things, those four columns, and then you start doing some praying and saying, now, Lord Jesus, how should I vote? Because I want you to be first in my life. And I think if we do that, come on, I think we've done our best in a world that's very confused to try to be the salt and light that Jesus wants us to be. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet and close in prayer. Lord, we want to pray for America. Could we do that just a moment? We want to pray for America. America's way bigger than Democrats and Republicans. Americans are way bigger than us. Americans the greatest nation on earth. And we first want to ask for your forgiveness where our nation has gone off track. We want to ask you to forgive us when we've called wrong right and try to make right things, or we've called wrong right and right wrong. We, Lord Jesus, don't want to blame people we want to take responsibility for the things that we've done wrong and ask for your forgiveness. We want to do what the Bible says and pray for those in authority that we might live a quiet and peaceful life. We pray for our president, his family, Lord, all those that are, that are in leadership with him. We pray, Lord, that you would draw these people close to you. We pray that anything they're doing wrong, that you'd make it right. And anything they're doing right, they'd stay with it. We pray, Lord, for Governor Romney and all the people that he'd represent and judges that he'd appoint everybody else. We pray too that these would be men and women that would lead us in a right pathway. We pray for state elections. We pray for local elections. In all things we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And let us, Lord, as Christian people, not, not let it get too heated, to never get violent, to not attack. We just want to ask you, Lord, to come back to this nation and give us another chance. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, thanks for staying with me today. I hope the seatbelt didn't get too tight. If it did, you need to forgive me and we move on with life. How about that? Rick Scarborough next week. But right now we're going to sing one song and close in prayer. If you're here this morning and 
You know, America's in crisis, but maybe you're in crisis and you missed the early prayer time. Let somebody pray with you before you go. If you're here this morning and uh, you're not right with God, can I tell you that's the most important thing there is? Way more important than who gets elected presidents and governors is in my life right with God. And if I died today, would I go to heaven or hell? If you need to talk to somebody about that issue, please do it before you go. It's the most important thing there is. And of course, we got that meal in the cafe afterwards. But go ahead and we're going to sing it one time. Our prayer team is going to come. And our prayer team is going to come and make sure you pick up your platform at the back when you leave. We've got plenty. If you want to give one to a friend, do that as well. I love you and thank you so much.